All right, good morning, church. So here we are in 2 Peter today. We're going to look at verses 5 through 11. We're going to read 1 through 15 like we did last week, but we're going to look at that. Before we get into that, there's some celebrations like we kind of need to mention here in, in our congregation. Cheryl started a new job this, this last week, or do you start tomorrow? She starts tomorrow. We're excited for her. Uh, Jennifer just got a promotion. We're super excited about that for her. Next weekend is state qualifiers for Emma, right? Or is it state? State marching band competition for Emma. We're super excited about that. Like, lots of neat things happening with the folks here at Calvary Heights, and we want to celebrate those. And we're praying for everybody that everything works out well and, and to their, their benefit and to God's glory all at the same time. So we're excited for all of these great things taking place. Like I said, we are in Second Peter today. We're going to be in chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 15. But we're going to focus on verses 5 through 11 today. I just want to make sure we're getting everything in context as we, we look at the Scripture. If you've got your Bible, that'd be fantastic. Go ahead and open up to 2 Peter. If not, words of Scripture will be up on the screen and you can follow along there. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may, God, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his glory and excellence, by which he granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from becoming ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, and our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for this day that you've given to us. We thank you for this time we have to be in your word. Father, as we continue to dig into 2 Peter, as, as we look at the Apostles' letter, I pray that you would just continue to stir in our hearts uh, and apply to us what we learn from the word. Let us dig deep to, to do exactly as he said, to make every effort to supplement our faith. 
uh, with all of these things to, to really diligently confirm our calling that you have given to us. Father, I pray that as we, we enter into this time that we glorify and honor you, that it be you who is heard through the pulpit here, not me, that it be you who is glorified, you who is honored. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. So as we continue into 2 Peter, I love that he's reminding us uh, that the follower of Christ, how to live like a follower of Christ. Right? That's, that's what is, he's going into at this point now. He's, he's already given us what it means to be a believer, right, in the first four verses of this and, and deep into that. And now he's going into what it's like. How do you live like a follower of Christ? Peter wants the readers of this letter to make every effort to live a godly life. That's his goal. That's his desire here. He even gives us some pointers and tips, right, as we get a little closer to the end here for for living an effective and godly life in Christ. And he opens up with this this section with this list of qualities. If we're looking at just verses 5 through 11, he opens up these verses 5 through 11 with these qualities that show the follower of Christ is really partaking in that divine nature that he described back in verse 4. And as Peter gives this list, understand something here. This is not a legalistic checklist. This is not a, a holy punch card, right? This is not even an exhaustive list of fruits of the Spirit. It's the one that the Spirit gave to Peter as he's writing this at this time. We know there are other places where there are other fruits of the Spirit, but these are some that, that Peter was put on his heart to look at, right? This list that Peter gives us is, is a reminder of the desires and the actions of a transformed heart. This isn't something that I'm going to just do for me. This is something that, that happens because God is in me, changing me, making me different. Making in me a new creation, a new creature. These qualities that are, that are listed here are, are evidence of the power and the promises of Jesus Christ that were already mentioned, right? These are, these are the promises of Jesus that, that come to believers when they surrender their lives unto him. Once you've said, Jesus, forgive me, make me your child, adopt me, take me in. Once you've surrendered over to him, all of a sudden these things we see in verses 5 through 7 start to show up in our lives. And I love that he says, supplement your faith, right? Peter's reminding the believer that there's more to being a Christian than just professing Christianity, right? Anybody can profess Christianity. It doesn't mean that they're really a follower of Jesus Christ. I can profess that I'm an oak tree, but it's evident that I'm not. The same can happen when you profess Christianity, but there's no evidence that you are. Peter's reminding us of that. Being a Christian means that, that not only does one profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but they also live your life like Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You live your life the way Jesus taught us to live. Now, understand something here too. As we look at these lists that, that Peter's given us, he's not saying that these qualities are some sort of prerequisite for your salvation. Right? It's like taking a shower before you get in the bath. That's not what he's doing here. This is not a prerequisite for any of that. These are qualities that come from your faith. They come from your faith. That's why faith is listed first. Everything is built from the faith. 
And when you as a believer make your faith real and concrete in your life, others, especially non-believers, will see these qualities in you. They will recognize there's something different about you. They will see you have true faith. And they will see you as virtuous. They will see you as self-controlled. They will see you as being steadfast or having endurance in that true faith. Most importantly, they will see you in your godliness and they will see you in love. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ will shine through you in your actions and in your words. Now, again, notice how each of these qualities supplements or strengthens the one before it on the list. And Peter starts out here with faith. This is the initial point when you came to Christ. That's your faith point, your moment there. When, when you were, were called of Christ, the Holy Spirit worked in you and convicted you of your sin, and you knew you needed Jesus. That's that moment of faith. When you heard the gospel and you surrendered to it, there's where you start. And faith is root of all of the Christ-like qualities that follow. Without faith, there's, there's nothing for these attributes to grow in. They grow from the faith. But your faith is then strengthened by virtue. I like that he uses the word virtue. We don't use virtue enough anymore. It's a great word. right? Virtue is, is a behavior that shows a high moral standing, a moral excellence, if you would. This, this Christ-like trait that builds good habits, and it gets rid of, of the old fleshly desires. And the thing is about being virtuous is that no one is born virtuous. No one is born virtuous. But believers in Christ can live out Jesus' virtue in their life through His grace. That's what it means when we're virtuous. We're not taking on our own virtue. We're not having our own moral excellence. It's the moral excellence of Jesus Christ in our lives making us morally excellent. Because without Jesus, I am morally corrupt. As is everyone in this room. And your virtue then is strengthened by knowledge. Now Peter's already told us about the knowledge, right? Go back to, to verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Or Jesus our Lord. This is, this is the knowing of God and Jesus. This is, this is the wisdom and discernment that followers have to, of Christ, right? That, that is, we're following that we need to be virtuous. This is, this is knowing the Word of God, knowing God's character, knowing who He is. Not knowing about Him, but knowing Him in a real, intimate, relational way. So that we can have the discernment and wisdom that comes from knowing Him. Well, how do we know Him? Well, He's left us His Word. He has graciously given us His Word so that we may know Him. So to know Him means to spend time in His Word. Spend time reading it. Talking about it. Asking questions. Getting answers. Knowing God means knowing His Word. Then our knowledge. Your knowledge is strengthened by self-control. Now this is, a, this is a, a, an interesting word for us, self-control. But it's an even more interesting word if you're a, 
a Hellenistic Greek to whom Peter's originally writing this letter to, right? Because people of, of the Hellenistic Greek society, these initial readers of this letter, self-controlled means controlling one's passions rather than allowing one's passions to control them. Now that's important because in Hellenistic Greek society, your passions were the, the thing that was the most important. If you, weren't, if you were just out there living a pagan Greek life in the time that Peter's writing this, you obeyed your passions because your passions were the thing. Being self-controlled means you, can, you don't obey them, they obey you. And that's a big deal to these people, showing that you can do this. See, this, is the, this happens only, only when you, as a follower of Christ, submit to the control and the indwelling of Christ. People were expected to submit to their own passions rather than to something else. And these folks observing practices and, and worshiping these Greek and Roman gods, they even saw their own Greek and Roman gods obeying their passions rather than obeying any kind of holiness. You become self-controlled when you submit fully all the control to the indwelling Christ in you. That's where self-control comes from. And in your self-control, that is strengthened and bolstered up by steadfastness. Steadfastness is when you, you're resolutely firm in your faith. Now, note I said resolutely firm in your faith. That doesn't mean you don't have questions. That doesn't mean you don't get convicted of things in a different manner. But it means I know who my Jesus is. I know who my Lord is. This is endurance in the faith. And you need endurance to persevere under the pressures of persecution, which Peter's going to be writing to the church about soon. You're going to need endurance to, to persevere under the pressures of false teaching, which Peter's going to be writing to the, the church here about soon. And you need endurance to persevere under the pressures of your own flesh which we have to combat daily. You need the steadfastness to withstand the opposition from the world that's without and from the enticement that comes from within. That's why Peter's saying we strengthen up our self-control through steadfastness. If we know who Jesus is in our lives, we know that we have completely surrendered ourselves to him and we will not be obeying things we know we ought not obey. And you strengthen your ability to be steadfast with godliness. Now, when we think of, of godliness, we, we think of being holy, right? Be holy, therefore, because I am holy, right? Or living rightly, right? Peter uses a word here for godliness that, it, that implies a little bit more than just living rightly. The word here that Peter uses implies a a devoutness to God, a devotion to God. Right? This godliness that strengthens your ability to remain steadfast is this, this pious devotion to Jesus and his teachings. This kind of godliness that he speaks of is, is having not just the right feelings about who God is, but having the right behavior towards God. 
See, you're demonstrating the appropriate respect and the appropriate reverence for God. And you do so by living rightly in that. And then he says, you strengthen your godliness with brotherly affection. And you strengthen your brotherly affection with love. Now, these two qualities kind of go hand in hand, right? Brotherly affection is how we treat brothers and sisters in Christ. How we treat folks within our congregation, within our body, within those that we know that, that love and, and, and serve Jesus. Right? This is showing kindness and generosity and courtesy to fellow believers. But when he talks about love, the love here that he uses is, is agape. That's that deep, sacrificial love. Agape, as an origin of love, comes from God, not from the object being loved. Right? We don't start agape. Right? We, we kind of think we do, but we don't really. It's not you and I that, that, that initiate that. It's not where its origin is. Right? This kind of love that, that Peter's describing here, this love desires what is best for the one being loved and demonstrates that love through selfless sacrificial actions on behalf of the one being loved. Agape is lived completely out through Jesus shedding his blood, taking on the sins of the world on the cross. It's the ultimate example of agape. Peter's saying that's the love. The love that says, I want what's best for you at all cost to me. And he sandwiches all of these Christian life qualities between faith and love. Peter remembers Jesus telling his followers that if they love him, they will keep his commandments. He was there. He heard it. And he remembers Jesus saying it. And Peter's desire is for believers to be reminded of Jesus' teachings. To be reminded of Jesus' power in their lives. And to be reminded of Jesus' promises for their lives. See, and if you want to have these desirable qualities of a Christ-like life, you start by loving Jesus. You start there. And as you love Christ more, you'll obey His teaching more. But you love Him, and that faith gets started, right? And, and you'll obey His teaching more as you love Him more. And as you obey His teaching more, you'll grow more like Him. And those qualities of faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love will then all grow in you. See, remember, these qualities are given to you and me by the divine nature mentioned back in verses 3 and 4. This is, we are partakers. Right? We become partakers of the divine nature. And the divine nature shows these qualities. See, you can live in this way because of Christ living in you. These Christ-like qualities flow from you because of what God has done in you through Jesus Christ. It's an overflow of the abundance of grace, love, and mercy that comes from God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son into our lives. And we should nurture these qualities. 
Moving back to verses 3 and 4 again, that, that God's power has already provided everything that you need to live a life of godliness. You already have these qualities in you because you're a follower of Jesus Christ, because you've surrendered your life to Him. right? And they're fruits of the Spirit. This is not about gaining them. This is not about going and looking for them on a grocery shelf and picking them off and, and paying for them. Or it's not about trying to, 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 to attain them. Right? It's about growing the degree in which you use them, growing the degree in which you demonstrate them, growing in how people see them in you. Because every one of these signs, every one of these qualities that we see here, faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love, every one of these, these are all signs of a regenerated life in you as a follower of Jesus Christ. When Jesus saves you, he makes you a new creature. He changes you. And these qualities are signs of him changing you. And the longer you walk with Christ, the more these qualities should grow in you. There is a biblical expectation that as you mature in the faith, you are to become more Christ-like in your character. You, you, you see that. There is a biblical expectation that as we mature in our faith, the longer we walk with Jesus, the more we should become like Jesus. That's a biblical expectation of us all. See, having knowledge of Christ and God, but never growing in Christ-likeness, never becoming Christ-like in our qualities, never becoming Christ-like in our character, Peter says makes you ineffective and unfruitful to the kingdom of God. I've read what Jesus says about unfruitful trees. You cut them down and you burn them up. I'm sure that's probably why Peter uses that unfruitful here. He uses this ineffective and unfruitful here. I'm sure of that, that he remembers that too. We don't want to become ineffective or unfruitful in the kingdom of God. And these qualities of Christ-like behavior, they're, they're circular in nature. You cannot develop these qualities without Christ in your life. Yet the more the qualities grow in you, the more Christ-like you become in your character. And so they keep doing that as you move forward. And if you don't grow in these qualities, verse 9, he says, you're spiritually blind. You're so nearsighted that you're, you're spiritually blind. Blind enough, spiritually blind enough that you have forgotten that Jesus saved you and cleansed you from your sins. Man. The Apostle Peter is telling you if you lack these Christ-like qualities or if you haven't grown in these Christ-like qualities, your cleansing may only be external and not a true regeneration of the heart. External cleansing doesn't get you into the kingdom. Now, what Peter's not saying is that at any time you're going through a rough patch, or maybe you're going through a slow growth period, that you've lost your salvation. No, Peter's not saying that here. If you are Christ's, you are His. Ain't nobody pulling you out of those hands. 
It's not how that works. What Peter is doing here is encouraging you, especially in times when you feel far from God or in times when you're experiencing a slow or some sort of unsteady spiritual growth, be all the more diligent to confirm your salvation with God. See, we, we know that it is God who calls believers to faith through the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 2.14 tells us that. We see that. And it is God who has chosen. That word here becomes elected. It is God who has chosen them before the foundations of the world. And we see that in Ephesians 1.4. But the grace of God's salvation should never be taken for granted. And too often we do. If you were to come to me and say, do you think I'm saved? I'm going to be honest with you. I cannot, with 100% certainty, tell you if you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ or not. I can't do that. And it would be foolish of me to do that. And it would possibly lead me to send people to hell if I did do that. I cannot be certain for you. I can't. I can look at you and say, look, I can see evidences of, but I cannot say, yes, you are saved. No, that kind of assurance is only known to God. And it is revealed to the believer as they grow in Christ. God will give you that kind of an assurance not some pastor in a pulpit. And as a believer in Christ, the more you see yourself growing in these Christ-like qualities that are mentioned in verses 5 and five through 7, God is revealing to you an assurance of your salvation. If you hear other people saying, man, I've noticed this, 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 and this, and these are these qualities in your life. He's using the people, the church at large around you to, to say, yes, there's some assurance Evidence of your salvation. Growing in these qualities should give you an increasing confidence that God has called you, that God has elected you for salvation before the foundations of the world. When you see growth in these qualities that we've mentioned, faith and virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. When you see growth in all these areas, there's God giving you some affirmation that there's salvation working in your life. He's doing it. Now, these qualities that we see, these are good works, right? And remember, they are evidence of your salvation. Your salvation does not depend on these qualities, it does not depend on these good works. Rather, these qualities and these good works only come when there is salvation. And this is another assurance of your salvation, right? This is God revealing to you that you have been called of His. That if you desire to live a life filled with faith and filled with virtue, filled with knowledge, filled with self-control, filled with steadfastness, filled with godliness, filled with brotherly affection, filled with agape-style love, and you see good works springing up from you because of that desire. That's evidence of your salvation. That's evidence of your calling. That's evidence of your election 
as Peter uses it here. And as you practice these qualities and you live this way, here's the beautiful thing. You're going to be less likely to be swayed from the faith and fall away. You're going to hit walls. Life is going to throw walls at you. You're going to hit stumbling blocks. Life is going to throw stumbling blocks at you. You're going to encounter false teachings. That's going to happen. But when you are living this way, you're practicing these qualities, you're growing them up, you're less likely to be swayed. You're less likely to fall away. See, this is the path to the eternal kingdom of Christ. Christ has saved you. Christ has changed you. And you grow more like Christ as you sojourn through this world with the hope and anticipation of His kingdom that is, that is on its way. And as you practice these Christ-like qualities that we, we see in verses 5-7, through seven, as a true believer in Christ, and you're really practicing them, you're going to be richly provided with the reward of eternal life. So what does that mean? What does that mean for us? And as you look at verses 5 through 11, see that you are called to always be growing in your faith. I get it, man. There are days that it just feels like you're slogging through the mud just to, just to, just to, just to say, thank you, God, for giving me breath today. I get that. You are, you are called to always be growing. If you're still here, the purpose for you to be here is to be continually growing in your faith for the glory of God. He still wants you here for some reason. And you're called to be productive in your faith. To do something with it. And you're called to be sure of your salvation. And you're called to be steadfast or have an endurance in your salvation. And as you're always growing in your faith, you're going to be living more Christ-like exi existence day in and day out. For all of those Christ-like qualities that, that Peter mentions here in verses 5 through 7 will be more and more evident in your life. And it's going to be more and more evident in your life because of what Christ is doing as he changes you to be more and more like him. It's a long process. It's called sanctification, but he keeps doing it. And as followers of Christ, we cannot begin to think that the godly character that we have in us ever starts with us, that it ever comes from our own efforts. Godly character always comes from God. And these qualities are more and more influential in our lives as disciples. As we follow Christ, those characteristics become more influential. They change us more and more. And we nurture those qualities. But the thing is, is when we nurture those qualities, one of the things we do with them is we start to turn them loose. And as we turn them loose, that's when you become productive in your faith. That's when things start to happen. You're either growing or you're not growing. If you're growing in the qualities mentioned in verses 5 through 7, it's not just about those qualities being seen in your life, but that they overflow and they become prominent. God desires you to use the power he gives you to be a force to be reckoned with for the sake of the gospel. Hmm. Peter knew in his time there were Christians who were ineffective and unfruitful. And we're only 30-some years out from the ascension. And there were already people claiming Christ that they were ineffective and unfruitful. Yet 2,000 years later, 
the same is still true. And I'm going to say this, and this is tough, but for those who are ineffective and unfruitful, the jury is still out on whether their calling is legitimate. The, the jury's still out. Are they really saved? See, Peter here is calling us to remove that doubt. Seek out God. Dive into the Word. Are you legit? Are you really saved? Because when you remove that doubt about your calling, you can be sure of your salvation. And Peter pleads with believers. I love what he, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Salvation comes from God. He initiates your faith through the hearing of the gospel. He gives you the resources to live out a, a more Christ-like life. He calls you and elects you through his grace and his mercy. But you have to confirm, you have to ratify your calling. And you do that through growing in Christ-like qualities, through growing in your faith, your virtue, your knowledge, your self-control, your steadfastness, your godliness, your brotherly affection, your love. You grow in those things. And if you're not bearing fruit as a follower of Christ and you're really a follower of Christ, there's going to be a lot of wrestling going on in you. There's going to be a lot of wondering, am I really, really saved? Continual growth shows genuine salvation and gives assurance that you are a child of God. When you have assurance of your salvation, you can be steadfast in your salvation. Peter wants you to be steadfast, to have that endurance so that you won't cave in when times get difficult. He wants you to be steadfast so you won't fall away when false teaching arises. We live in a world in which there's a lot of false teaching. And sadly, a lot of it comes from a lot of places that call themselves churches. They dealt with that in Peter's time too. But when you know the Word and you're growing in the Word, you won't fall away when that false teaching arises. Peter, through the Holy Spirit of God, wants you to be sure-footed in the faith so that you can withstand all that will arise here on earth. But also so that you may get into the kingdom that God has richly provided an entryway for you. This is what he's wanting. It's because of God's grace as believers in Christ that we must demonstrate and confirm our calling by reflecting Christ's character daily in our lives. Remember the call of Christ on your life. Be a good steward of the divine nature God allows you to partake in. Live to confirm your salvation and calling by looking more and more Christ-like every day. Bow with me for a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you. We thank you that there are passages like this that, that are challenging, but yet reassuring at the same time. Father, we, we thank you that as, as we read these things, that we can look at these qualities and we can, we can start asking ourselves and asking you to confirm our calling in Christ, to know that we can have assurance. Father, I pray that as, as, a, as a body of believers here, that as individuals, 
we would be diligent to confirm our calling. We would, we would be diligent to practice the qualities so that we will never fall. So that we may not be ineffective or unfruitful for your name and for your kingdom. Father, continue to spur us that direction in all that we do. It's in Jesus' name I pray.